0: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style
2: ladies and gentlemen may i have your attention please you are listening to the big cruise podcast
3: Welcome to the Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to episode 17. My name is Baz, I'm your host. And uh, in today's show, it is a little bit different. We've uh, Chris Rain joining us to talk all things uh, maritime history and a bumper edition of Cruise News. So much so, we don't actually have time to do a cruise review this week, but don't worry, we'll be back next. And uh, Chris will hang around and answer a listener question. And of course, Pete will be joining us from Clear to talk about Istanbul this week. Before we get into that, though, just a quick shout out to somebody who left a review on uh, Apple Podcasts for us. Uh, Great listen, full of great information from experienced cruisers and experts. So nice to hear personal stories that really describe the destinations and ships. Host is very likable, so it's enjoyable listening. Thank you very, very much for that. And if you uh, have got the time to do so, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, be that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any of the different podcast directories. And uh, if you have a listener question or you want to leave a cruise review, you can do so via of our website, uh, TheBigCruisePodcast.com. Uh, you'll find the Join the Show tab, and that's where you can post your question. Or, of course, you can uh, name the ship that you want to do a cruise review on, and we'd welcome anything that you've been on in the the last 12 to 18 months or so. But without further ado, let's get straight into the show. <laughs> That time of the show when we welcome back our good friend maritime historian Chris Frame back to the show. Chris, hello again. Great to be here Barry, so much to get <laughs> through today. I know, in fact this whole episode is pretty much going to be dominated by cruise news but before we get into the news let's start off with maritime history. You've got uh, a story here about uh, monarch and sovereign of the seas.
2: Well yes, uh, it actually ties in with cruise news because uh, very very sad for ship lovers around the world, it's to see the sovereign and the monarch which were both sailing for Pullmantur cruisers have actually arrived at the scrapyard and been beached in, um, in Turkey. So there's some very dramatic images that you can see on Instagram and um, on YouTube, bridge cam footage of these massive cruise ships being um, run aground, I suppose, up onto the beach there for their final, uh, on their final journey to the scrapyard. Um, and which got me thinking about these these particular ships because they, they're quite um, special in their own right. Um, there was three of them in what is known as the sovereign class, the first being the sovereign of the seas, which originally, all three were originally built for for Royal Caribbean, and then uh, two of them have gone across to, had gone across to Pulmonter. And so mm-hmm. the sovereign of the seas, there's monarch of the seas, and there's majesty of the seas, and majesty still um, remains with Royal Caribbean at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Now, these ships here, they were all um, over 73,000 tonnes, which at the time in the 1980s was very big. In fact, they're the first of the massive um, cruise ships that, that were built at that time and um, were quite notable because they were actually larger than the Norway, which was the biggest cruise ship in the world at the time um, with Norwegian Cruise Line, which, of course, was the reworked France ocean, ocean liner that was reconverted into a cruise ship. And Mm -hmm. they were also bigger than the QE2, which at the time, again, was also one of the largest ships in the world in operation. So these ships here were um, built by Royal Caribbean and were significantly larger than than many of the legacy ships that they were competing against. Um, 268 meters long, and they were very unique because, at the time anyway, because they had uh, this 360 degree uh, special lounge built into the funnel, and it wasn't. On the base of the funnel, but it was actually suspended quite high up. So, if you see pictures of these ships, you can see this big glass sort of looks like something out of the Starship Enterprise <laughs> or something. You know, at the top of the <laughs> funnel there, um, which is a design that Holland, uh, not rather that um, Royal Caribbean had used in in um, their previous ship, Song of America, as well. Now they um, were built; the three of them. The first one entered service in nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, that was Sovereign. Then there was Monarch, and then in nineteen ninety-two, the last one came into service, which is Majesty of the Seas. Um, and so they had a good long career with uh, Royal Caribbean. Um, and as Pulmanta started to uh, update its brand, these uh, two of these ships were moved across. Majesty was originally um, scheduled to go across to Pulmanta, but she was actually retained with Royal Caribbean um, and at the moment is in the UK. So she remains with them. But the other two, sadly, the two sisters sitting there in, in Turkey uh, preparing for their, their scrapping. Um, so, I thought it was interesting because uh, there's so much conversation about uh, new builds and also the ships that are being retired now. And these two particular ships were really special in that they were part of that sort of new build uh, growth that started to happen through the 1980s. And to see them to see them go really does uh, bring sort of an end towards that beginning that, that that sort of early cruising era.
3: Yeah, certainly, it was the the, the start of the, the the boom of cruise, I guess. Mm. And, uh... Sad day over in Turkey. And in another goodbye, um, Hapag Lloyd are saying goodbye to a ship.
2: They are, yes. So they're saying goodbye to their um, small cruise ship, Bremen, or Bremen. Uh, and they uh, that ship there is a, about a 6,700 tonne ship. So she's quite a small ship. Um, built in the 1990s and originally was operated by a company called Frontier Cruises, but um, later uh, moved across to Hapag Lloyd. Um, she was actually f- scheduled to leave the fleet next year, as the company sort of refreshes its its brand and um, and its uh, ship offering. And Hapag Lloyd is quite well known for its very luxurious ships. In fact, um, Europa and Europa 2 are two of the highest rated ships in the world. Um, but this little ship, she does more of the expedition style voyages. But with the um, Hapag Lloyd re entering into the cruise market now. Um, in a post sort of well during the coronavirus era uh, this particular ship isn't as easy to have the social distancing on board due to her size and layout Uh, so her antarctican voyages voyages to antarctica and other sort of expedition cruises that she had planned for this year have been cancelled and she will not be returning into Hapag Lloyd service Uh, but um, they do have Uh, other ships in the fleet, obviously, that they're re-establishing with. And we've obviously spoken in previous podcasts about a few of those, including Europa 2, which is Mm -hmm. uh, recommencing the voyages for them. So um, good news and bad news, I suppose.
3: Yeah. And uh, a little closer to home here in Australia, some of the Carnival Corporation brands have
2: announced an an
3: extension of their pause.
2: Yes, they have. So we've got Carnival Cruise Lines, uh, P&O and Princess. Um, All of them have extended their Australian cruise pause through to the end of October um what's interesting is that Princess has actually been making news within the cruise market at the moment because they've extended their global cruise pause with the exception of Australia until uh until December so um yeah so it's interesting because we've obviously got this Australian pause extended through to the end of October and then Princess has gone and sort of pushed it out um through to December so we won't be seeing um the big ship cruising, at least, re- recommencing here until at least at the end of October. I think looking at Princess's global pause through to December, it might give a hint as to what what's to come with uh, in terms of the Australian voyages. But again, it really depends on what's going to happen with, um, with the Australian border and Australian coastal cruising, perhaps, for domestic market.
3: Yeah, sure, exactly. Um, we've got a heap of news here from Carnival. Well, let's start off with the good news surrounding uh, Mardi Gras over in Europe.
2: Yes, so the Carnival Mardi Gras is their new build. It's a uh, the largest ship to ever be built for Carnival Cruise Lines, over 180,000 tonnes. She's uh, a new class of ship that um, is actually powered by LNG, so she's got um, a much cleaner fuel that operates the ship and has sort of those greener credentials that come with that, which is really nice. She's actually named after the Carnival's first ever cruise ship, um, the original Mardi Gras, which was a converted ocean liner that they put into service um, almost 50 years ago now. And her debut was scheduled for this year, but it had been pushed back until February 2021. But work is continuing with the ship, um, and it's continuing at a good pace. They've actually just installed the first-ever roller coaster at sea on board uh, the ship. It's called the Bolt, and it actually – I mean, the – Engineering into it must be amazing to make it work when the ship's at sea. But um, it takes you fifty-six meters above the waterline on this roller coaster, so it would be quite a um, quite a remarkable experience, I imagine, for anybody who's brave enough to to have a go at it. And she'll um, is currently scheduled to to join the fleet and to commence cruising in February next year. So it's good to see that work's continuing on her despite everything that's going on.
3: Yeah, exactly. With that bolt though, um, I did the Skyride, which is on the, the, the current newer ships, the the Vista and the Horizon. The Skyride is this kind of upside down suspended go kart that mm-hmm. you ride around the top of the ship and it parts, it goes off the side of the ship. <laughs> that was bad enough. I don't know that I'll be riding bolts <laughs> on, on uh Modigua
1: anytime soon. Well you do
2: think like I mean, you see obviously land based roller coasters, but this one must I mean you can see from artist renditions it's obviously been specifically designed for use on a ship and it's the first time they've ever tried to do something like this, but um, it, it would be quite an experience, I imagine. Um, maybe, maybe some other people can try it out first and then we'll give it a go later.
3: <laughs> now, keeping with the the new-build theme, hmm. um, the Mardi Gras is part of the uh, XL class of ships and Carnival are announcing the second one of these ships for delivery in 2022.
2: Yeah, so it's uh, part of their 50th birthday celebrations as well that they've um, announced that their work on the second of the class will continue. Um, and she is due to enter the fleet in November of 2022. Again, LNG powered, uh, yet unnamed. So we don't know what the name of this one will be. it be interesting to see if they revive some of more of those old names from the original ships. Because, of course, there was uh, Mardi Gras and there was uh, Festival and um, uh, Tropical. So it'd be interesting to see if they bring some of those names back, or if this one has a totally different different name. And what's interesting about the the Mardi Gras, and I imagine it might be the same with the second ship, is that they've actually modified the livery for the first time in the company's history, and they've got this blue sort of wave on the bow of the ship as well. Um, so they'll definitely stand out when they come in. And at 180,000 tons, are um, the second, I think, the second largest class of ships after the Oasis class.
3: Mm, exactly. Um, in slightly different news, uh, Carnival Fantasy and Carnival Inspiration uh, are no longer to be part of the Carnival fleet. Yeah,
2: this is one that um, I think anybody who was kind sort of keeping an eye on on the Carnival ships had had sort of suspected, because Fantasy and Inspiration are both uh, currently in the Atlantic towards um, the sort of Straits of Gibraltar at the moment, um, and their destination is. An area in Turkey, which is known for its scrapyard, so many many rumors were floating around about these two. Carnival's now announced that Fantasy and Inspiration have indeed been sold. The announcement doesn't say who they've been sold to, um, but I suppose it would be um, unusual for them to be going to the the same scrapyard, actually, where the um, Sovereign and the Monarch is. What's on their uh, voyage tracker? Um, if they weren't heading for the Breakers Yard, but again, anything's possible. So we're not one hundred percent sure exactly who they've been sold to, but they're definitely leaving the fleet. Um, And then their fleet mates of the same class, the fantasy class, um, is fascination and imagination. And these two ships, whilst they haven't been sold, they're going to be put into uh, long-term layup, I suppose, cold layup where they will will shut the ship down and actually uh, prepare it for like a long-term mothballing, I suppose. Um, And so those two ships, fascination and and imagination, they won't be rejoining um, the fleet when cruising restarts uh, later this year or sometime next year.
3: And we've got a heap of um, extra news of the movement of ships. So Carnival Sensation will move from Miami to Mobile, Alabama. Um, Carnival Sunrise will move from Port Everglades to Port Miami. Carnival Sunrise um, will have no changes um, because she's going to be a big part of the 50th birthday celebrations planned for March 2022. And Carnival Radiance will now move directly from Europe after its transformation um, to be homeported in Long Beach, California. Mm.
2: So, and they also, is, I mean, Carnival's um, said in the in the same announcement that their um, plan for you know resuming cruising will focus on the return markets from mainland US. So, I suppose we're seeing some of these, even some of these bigger ships of bigger classes, moving to different ports now um, to replace those that have. Um, that have been withdrawn and, you know, fantasy, inspiration, fascination, imagination, they're, they're the, the oldest type of ship in the fleet of that fantasy class, which doesn't necessarily have quite as many of the amenities that some of the bigger ships do. Uh, so I guess that makes sense in terms of that fleet planning process.
3: Yeah, exactly. Huge news from Carnival there. Let's move on to Viking. Um, they've announced their 2021-22 world cruise. They have.
2: So, again, looking quite far ahead until the end of um, end of next year, um, 136 days, taking in 27 countries and over 50 ports, which should be quite awesome. And that actually includes... Uh, Visits to Australia with maiden calls at Eden in New South Wales, which is becoming, well, before the cruise was, was becoming more and more popular with cruise lines. I was noticing quite a few different ships pulling in there Um, and also making uh, a maiden call for for Viking at um, Phillip Island, Um, as well as taking in New Zealand. So we'll give people a great opportunity to potentially um, pick it up and do some local cruising in this part of the world. Uh, and, you know, Viking is one of those brands that's very well known in the markets that it operates in. But it, it, the world cruise uh, voyages that these ships can do gives an opportunity for people who have never really had the opportunity to experience it before to try it in, in a local area, in their local airports, um, and then experience that brand. And then potentially um, you'll start to see more of these ships coming, coming our way, which should be exciting.
3: Yeah, with Eden, um, but they just spent or are currently spending a small fortune on a new uh, reception centre mm. to, to welcome guests. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an area of Australia that is really investing and in wanting to attract more and more cruise tourism, which is a great that news. That is good
2: course. news, very
3: good news. Um, our friends at Norwegian Cruise Line have announced that in 2021 and twenty two they will have seven ships in Europe. Yeah,
2: that's brilliant news as well for... Um, Norwegian because uh, it just shows that uh, demand for their offering their uh, freestyle cruising offering which is very popular with many many travelers. Um, Seven ships in Europe that will include Norwegian Gem, uh, Norwegian Dawn, Norwegian Escape, Norwegian Star and Norwegian Jade as well as two of their um, most sort of prominent and largest ships uh, the Norwegian Getaway and the Norwegian Escape which have pretty much the entire Norwegian offering built into these very large ships and they've got all the bells and whistles. Um, and they'll be offering a variety of different European itineraries, um, which again is is great because despite the fact that the company's um, name is Norwegian Cruise Line, they had historically had much more of a focus on that um, traditional US market. So for them to be able to expand their footprint in Europe um, just goes to show um, what the sort of demand is for European cruisers on this uh, more casual and, and, uh, and, and freestyle style of experience.
3: Exactly. Now, last week we spoke a little bit about Fred Olsen acquiring two new ships. This week they've announced a tease for their 2022 itineraries, and this is a cracker of an itinerary. They've got a, a beautiful voyage down to the Black Sea.
2: They do, and actually they're going to be um, departing out of Dover, which has, um, again, become increasingly popular uh, for the cruise lines uh, in Europe, uh, in the UK particularly, um, not just basing all of their voyages out of the traditional market of Southampton, but also expanding it to have different embarkation ports such as Dover, which is great. Now, this particular voyage is off to the Black Sea on board the Balmoral. Um, It was departing um, in September, 27th of September, 2022, so it's quite a way out. Uh, But it takes in a number of um, ports. In fact, there's almost like an entire, it looks like almost an entire page of port calls (laughs) um, during this 28-night voyage, Um, So you get an opportunity to to check out Gibraltar, Um, you can have a look at uh, Malta, there's cruising uh, the Dardanelles, Uh, there's a visit to Istanbul, um, calling in at uh, ports in Georgia and in Russia. Um, And then again, on the way sort of back up through towards Greece, you can um, then cruise the Dardanelles again Um, and pulling in at several Greek ports as well before making a call in spain and then back to dover so it's sort of a, a round trip voyage great for the local market there in the uk um but also um you know for anybody who's traveling in internationally it gives you an opportunity to base yourself maybe in the uk take this cruise and check out all these amazing places within the mediterranean and the black sea and then come back um to that sort of hub where you can enjoy your holiday and then come you going to fly back to wherever you're coming from so um very, very exciting. And Fred Olsen's obviously got some great um, future opportunities with, with their new ships as well. So to have um, more good news from one of their existing ships is great to, to hear.
3: Great. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we let you go, Chris, I'm going to call you back into the show in just a minute after we've had a little ad break because we've got a listener question that sure. came in. Um, but in the meantime, just tell
2: us what uh, videos you've been putting out this week. This week's one is all about the retirements, the ones that um, the ships that have retired from service and where they're going. So it covers off on... Um, the, the fantasy and inspiration um, on Costa Victoria and um, on of course Sovereign and Monarch uh, so that's up on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Chris Cunard um, where you can check that out and all the other um, cruise news updates that I've been putting out over the last few weeks
3: Brilliant, hold fire Chris, we'll have a word from our sponsor and then we'll be back with a list of questions This podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. They have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing, but most importantly, each and every call, chat, and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au. bringing chris back into the show because chris we've got a question here um, from one of our listeners that came in via the website if you have a listener question you're more than welcome to get in touch with us go to the bigcruisepodcast.com and there is a join the show page where you can answer sorry to your question and also a request to to do a review with us if you want to as well um now this question was regarding cunard and particularly about qe2 asking if it was involved in the falkland war or was it just the canberra that uh, went to assist
2: Ah. Okay, so both of them did. Um, there was a, a number of different British ships that were called up for trooping services, particularly during the Falklands War in the 1980s. Canberra uh, was a P&O ship, very well-known in her time, particularly here in Australia because it's named after the Australian capital. And then there was Kiwi-2, which, of course, was the most um, probably the most well-known ship in the world at the time. And uh, both of them were called up. Canberra was uh, converted and sent down to the Falklands and actually went very far into the into the war zone, um, they're transporting troops. Kiwi-2 was also converted into a, um, a troop carrier. In fact, it took about a week alongside in Southampton to convert the ship, this massive refit that they managed to turn around in such a short period of time, where they cut off the aft decks of the ship, built helipads, covered all of the interiors with planking and, and metal plates to try and preserve it, and converted lounges into mess halls and all that sort of thing. Um, and then she set sail and went down to the South Atlantic as well. Now, the Canberra was going right into the into the thick of it. Very dangerous voyage for Canberra, going right up to the Falklands to deploy the troops there. Kiwi Two, it was a very you know still a very risky trip for the Kiwi Two and, and the people who operated on her. The Cunard volunteer crew who who volunteered to go on the voyage um, were very very brave, but she was kept comparatively safe compared to Canberra, where they actually didn't take Kiwi-2 right into the war zone. And in fact, when she got to um, the South Atlantic, her troops were transferred using tenders and um, tugboats from the Kiwi-2 across to the Canberra, and then Canberra took them into the to the war zone. But what is interesting to to look at is the fact that Canberra actually uh, returned after Kiwi-2. So Kiwi-2 did her, her voyage down to the South Atlantic, deployed her troops to Canberra, then took on survivors from three British ships that had been sunk, and then sailed back up to Southampton. Great big parade and uh, celebration when she arrived. She was met by the Queen Mother on board the a royal yacht Britannia, as they sailed up the um, up the Solent, then she pulled alongside in Southampton and was given a, another big refit to turn their back into a cruise ship or an ocean liner with passengers on board. Canberra stayed down in the Falklands for quite a bit longer, but she eventually did did return, and Kiwi Two was still alongside when Canberra pulled back into into Southampton, and again Canberra was welcomed with this huge flotilla of boats and stuff. As Canberra was coming up towards where Kiwi Two was docked, the troops on board canberra who were very very proud of the of the ship they'd been working behind the scenes on this this banner that they that they had planned to display on the side of the ship and as they were approaching qe2 they put this banner over the side and in huge letters it says canberra cruises where qe2 refuses and it was this little (laughs) (laughs) this little sort of play on the fact that despite the fact that obviously um, qe2 is uh, so well known the canberra went into into the danger zone and uh, she was um She was very much loved by those who had sailed on board her and is is just as famous as the QE2 in terms of the the work that they did in the Falklands Islands. Brilliant.
3: Oh, what a great story. So much history there as well. Chris, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for today, mate. And uh, we'll be speaking to you same time next week. Thank you. When you're packing for your next cruise, Maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evocus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. And it's that time of the show when we welcome back Pete from Clear. Hey Pete, how you doing? Good, Baz. Yourself? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Now, this week we're heading to a place that was very, very popular a couple of years ago, but it's been off the radar for a little while. Tell us all about Istanbul.
1: Istanbul, boy, if you have a choice uh, to extend either pre-post further uh, to add a few days or choose a cruise that has overnight stays, this is certainly uh, a city that deserves that time. In that respect, you've got a lot of uh, – look, you've got your tourist sites, of course, um, but you've, you've got the culture, the restaurant and food, gastronomic sort of delights in sort of areas like Taksim on the mainland. You've got cruises along the Bosporus. Uh, they're quite informative. It, it really has something for everyone. Um the the ships will generally dock uh, in an area called uh, Salipazari, which is the new port, which is about a 40-minute walk to the famous spice markets, although there is transportation, of course, uh, that ships provide. Uh, if you happen to be docking in the old port, which is Karakoi, uh, it's about a 15-minute walk to the spice market. So in both okay. instances, you walk towards the bridge, turn left, walk along the ladder bridge. Uh, which actually has two levels, the top level is the traffic and underneath you've got some uh, restaurants and street eateries and so forth. And then as soon as you hit the the, the other side, bang, you're in uh, spice markets. You've got Hagia Sophia, which is a very, very interesting um, uh, attraction. It's uh, the only concentrated church in the world that was changed to um, a mosque. Sorry. A mosque, so the only one church to mosque now. It's a bit of a museum, but it is spectacular. I mean, talk about um, beautiful architecture, and and you'll spot those uh, uh minarets as well. Blue Mosque, Topkapi Palace. If you're someone who loves history, you want to read about the Ottoman Empire, you can certainly go visit that. Everyone wants to go the Grand Bazaar, spice markets, and grab. Look, you you lived in uh, Turkey, didn't you, Baz?
3: Yeah, I did actually not in Istanbul down in, in Marmaris, down on the, the south coast for for a little while. Um yeah, the the Grand Bazaars and the spice markets are, are great places to go to, but you've got to have your your wits about you and be careful where you accept your apple tea from because that's generally <laughs> that's your where you're, you're, that's where you're your, buying your rug from. You're buy from. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so actually, you know what, you bring up a really good point because I always like to talk about something that you can't read in a brochure and and, and from my experiences with uh, passengers, and when it comes to bartering, it can be quite a confronting uh, scenario for them because it's we're not used to it in our culture, yeah. Now, whether you're in, yeah. um, you know, West Africa or Morocco or Turkey in particular, you're going to get these, uh, generally salesmen who are going to ask you to come in and have your apple uh, tea, which is quite nice, by the way. But yes, be prepared to pay for a rug when you're there. Um, but so <laughs> just some tips with bartering first of all, that everyone's going to approach you and it seems aggressive, but that's just their way of life. And the way I found the best way to Deal with it. Is have fun with it. Understand that that's their culture. They're not being yeah. aggressive. It's just day to day business transactions. And if I'm really not in the mood to buy anything, I, I won't even eye contact. You know, and it's not rude. It's just you're not interested. You're moving on. Don't worry. They're going to ask the next person in three seconds. Um, yeah. If you are interested, I really found that. Okay, settle yourself down. Look at the item. and Say what it before you speak to them. What am I prepared to pay for this? Um, and then of course go low go ahead and have fun and you have you'll have a smile they'll laugh too because they're gonna ask for some ridiculous price <laughs> and you work your way down to the middle now if it's not in your range it's okay walk away because what I found eight eight out of ten times they'll follow you and say no no that's okay well, let's let's uh, yeah. keep continuing so have fun with it relax and you know set aside a, a budget of what you want if you're not comfortable with it, Continue on.
3: Yeah, exactly. No, good, good sound advice there. Um, also, I always recommend uh, the hammam or the Turkish bath. Have you ever done that?
1: <laughs> I have a, a very odd story with that. I, you know, being a tour <laughs> operator, I um, or you know, sure, excursion manager. I asked my tour operator to always take me to local sites because I've done a lot of the attractions around the world, and so yeah. he took me to a real local place, and he picked me up at the end of the experience. He said, how was it? And I said, I feel like I've, I've been robbed. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I was in there. They bashed me. They fell on the floor. They picked me up. So these, these are really <laughs> physical, uh, you know, um, hand uh, movements. And and then I, I didn't know how what to pay. So I just paid him 50 US because that's all I had. <laughs> I said, you know, I feel like I'm beaten and bruised and I've lost 50 bucks but what an experience (laughs) i'm hoping yours is better
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we used to when we were there we used to go every week as a bit of a a ritual yeah um but it's amazing when you go for the first time the 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 dead skin cells that they remove that comes off as this gray horrible paste it looks like you've never had a bath in your life it feels amazing afterwards they use
1: those big gloves don't they and they're just yeah yeah and and they'll you know put their fingers up in they'll clean everything out and it yeah. and it's hot and, and but you know what? It's uh, that's why you travel, isn't it? To experience, yeah, uh, experience the world. It's
3: part of their traditions, etc. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, that was a good one, Pete. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll we'll speak to you again very very soon. Thanks, mate.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.